for me, home was a refuge. There wasn't right. online stuff. I could escape into books and comic books and play video games and all those things. And now because everything is so interconnected, which is great, but also it has that downside of now we can compare ourselves instead of where we used to compare ourselves with 25 to 30 people. We now can compare ourselves against thousands and millions and millions of people. Right. And there's that. And then it can also follow you in the home, online, offline, all these different things, which is so much more scary because it's it's it is that there is really no safe place so one thing i was really thinking about recently is the whole phrase of safe space i think it needs to be changed to brave spaces where it's a space where you can actively talk about what's going on with you actively talk about what's going on with your mental health actively talk about and see that you're not alone that you're Welcome to the Persistence You podcast with Lisbeth, and that's you as in university. But we're much more of a community here. I'm your host, Lisbeth Meredith, author, speaker, and online teacher. Each week, I'll be delivering stories from amazing survivors and strivers, all threaded together with a dose of persistence. So glad you're listening. Welcome, her sisters and brothers. It is. October the, what am I going to say? It's the ninth today as I am recording this with our esteemed guest, Clint Callahan. And I wanted to let you know, I look forward to having this conversation with him because it has a lot to do with some of my favorite topics, but it is somewhat on bullying and on some of the things that helped him as a man with who began life with a lot of health struggles uh, what has really helped him become the resilient person that he is today. And let me first give you a quick update. It is fall here in East Tennessee as it is. Well, by the time that we listen to this, it could be spring. You don't know. We don't know. Um, it's, you know, I think we'll come out sooner than springtime, but we've got some great interviews in the queue. But for today, it is October and I just want to read you Clint's bio because Clint Callahan, let me put on my readers, is a therapist working since the year of 2000, 23 years. Uh, now he's doing some life coaching and he created a small changes, big impact, 1% day transformational system, teaching psychological tools to beat burnout and stress in 15 minutes a day. And I do look forward to that. Who doesn't need to hear about how to beat burnout and keep refreshing ourselves? In personal news, I just got a new small little idea for a new nonfiction book. And I am so enjoying this miraculous day because sometimes I feel like in my other job in true crime interviewing that, uh, you know, it can be difficult to try to find people to survivors of crime to speak. And I had the best situation this week in which not only did we find somebody who never spoken about a very impactful thing that happened to her as a teenager, but it opened up doors with other interviews I'd done on the same horrific crime for there to be connection at her request and the other survivor's request to connect and have some healing something more than a, about a decade in, you know, that could have happened about a decade ago, but finally 
a bunch of conversations are being had that will keep us unstuck. And I think that's something so important to remember for all of us. It's never too late to have difficult conversations. It's never too late to have some healing, even of relationships that should have been tended to long ago. If there's as much commitment on both sides, wow, it's amazing what we can accomplish. And even in a job that people tease me, my friends tease me, it's very dark work that you do. There are moments of beautiful light. So really thankful for that. Let's see. Patron-wise, if you are a patron of mine, you know that you have a library that helps you learn about being a great podcast guest and the things that are my greatest pet peeves in podcasting. When I get a guest, and don't worry, I don't name anyone, but things that happen to any of us, uh, I'm sure I've done them as a guest too, that really are, are to be avoided. You also have a class on writing an effective business email or newsletter. If you're an author, that's particularly valuable. And getting started with your own writing, there are just a number of things in our growing patron library that you get access to for supporting this podcast and my writing at the $2 a month or $5 a month price point. So keep it in mind, love to have you. And as ever, I love when you're here, when you listen, and when you can share this on social media or text it to a friend, if this episode meant something to you, that helps so much. You're great company. Thanks for being my great company. And I will introduce you to Clint Callahan. Clint Callahan, thank you so much for being at Persistence U with us today. I think your story is a fascinating one, and I can't wait to hear about the tool you've created. Well, thank you for having me. Yes, you bet. I can't you need to hear a little louder. There we are. A little louder? That better? That's it. A little louder. Right. Thank you so much. And give me some background on the story behind the story before you were a coach and a therapist for many, many years. What do you think it was? What's the backstory of, you know, that really motivated you to do the healing work you do today? Sure. So when I was born, I weighed one pound, 15 ounces. And wow. back then, that was 47 years ago. So they didn't know what they know now. They didn't have the technology that they have now. So the fact that I'm alive is the first part of me being really persistent, I guess, when I, from when at the time that I was born. And I found a, uh, a, like, after my mom passed away, I found in my baby book a journal that she kept. And it really talked a lot about her experience and my dad's experience of what it was like every day not knowing if I was going to be alive or not. Of all the different techniques and things that they that the doctors tried to do to keep me alive, that really was, this, it was just, it was unknown at the time, you know, would I survive or not? So, you know, right. there's all those different things that, you know, led me to realize that, you know, my parents always told me, you survived and so many else didn't. So you need to do something with that. You know, and then from that, you know, that's a big load to put on a kid. That's you know? very heavy. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, Not recommended. <laughs> no. And so from there, you know, I went to school and I was bullied a lot as a kid where it was in my friend group. It was, you know, I wasn't the only target, but I felt like I was more targeted than others just because I was small sized. I had a lot of respiratory issues. I had a lot of different issues because of that but I was able to push through and eventually you know grow up and become an adult so everything's good now but it was all those different things that the hardest part was being in the friend group where 
that was confusing because when I was with them individually, it was very much we were good friends and it was safe. But then as the group, it was completely unsafe. So it created this confusion and anxiety and frustration, people pleasing, all these different things happened because of it. And the anxiety got so bad that I missed a lot of school because I had a lot of somatic anxiety symptoms, which is my body was internalizing the anxiety as illness. So I missed a lot of school and all these different things because of that. But then like eventually headaches. it switched from... But, was it like headaches or stomach aches or how did that? Yeah, it was, it was stomach aches, stomach aches, GI upset. It was actually to the point where I would get so sick that it was actually raised my body temperature. So it would look like I was actually fighting an illness. So it was it got, it was pretty bad for a while there, and then it switched from anxiety stuff to anger, and that's when my parents really saw what was go that things were going on, and so that's when I got introduced to therapy when I was around twelve years old, eleven or twelve, and because of that, it that opened my eyes to this world of psychology that there's words for the things that I was feeling that there's that there are reasons why my body was acting the way it was, why I was reacting the way I was, and it gave me this new insight into all the things that were going on and started my love affair with psychology and coaching and helping people through this kind of stuff. Because what I found out about myself is when it comes to people, all I want them to do is not suffer because I know what it's like to suffer and I don't want anyone to suffer for longer than they have to. Right. Wow. And of course you can't as a human put everyone out of their suffering if they're not willing to, to, to do that. But, but how neat that you've chosen to be someone in the helping field after that experience. I think that's something that really resonates with, could, could resonate with teenagers today too. I, mm -hmm. One of the side jobs that I do is working, I end up having teenage coworkers. Mm -hmm. And when I hear them talking today about the kind of bullying that goes on in school, I mean, I can't even yeah. imagine what it's like today because they don't yeah. just tease you any longer at home, mm -hmm. you know, at school. Yeah. They keep it up online anonymously and through phones mm -hmm. and all of that all day, every day. Yeah. And it and sounds miserable. And that's the thing that's scary, right? Is for me, home was a refuge. There wasn't right. online stuff. I could escape into books and comic books and play video games and all those things. And now because everything is so interconnected, which is great, but also it has that downside of now we can compare ourselves instead of where we used to compare ourselves with 25 to 30 people. We now can compare ourselves against thousands and millions and millions of people. Right. And there's that. And then it can also follow you in the home, online, offline, all these different things, which is so much more scary because it's it's it is that there is really no safe place. So one thing I was really thinking about recently is the whole phrase of safe space, I think it needs to be changed to brave spaces, where it's a space where you can actively talk about what's going on with you, actively talk about what's going on with your mental health, actively talk about and see that you're not alone, that you're not the only one that goes through that. Because that's the thing that is happens most to people is it becomes so isolating. You get into your own head so much that it's no longer everybody goes through this if I'm the only one that goes through this. And that's the part that scares me the most is the isolation piece that happens with it. I like your idea. Creating brave spaces, you know, is a wonderful thing. Well, excellent. So how did this, when did you decide then? Was there a pivotal moment or situation when you're like, wow, mm -hmm. I'm going to go into this as a field, you know, later on? Because it's not what, not often what, 
kids dream of, particularly yeah. young men, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, originally, I went with this, I was going to be an FBI behavioral profiler. So originally, I was going to go do that. But then I spent a year, and as uh, when I was getting my master's working in a maximum security prison, and that mm-hmm. soured me on the idea of chasing serial killers for a living because I spent okay. time with people that were child, you know, molesters, rapists, murderers, these kind of things, having to counsel them in the prison setting. And it really made me realize that every day that I left, I felt the world was a darker place. And that's not my natural disposition. My natural disposition is is very, very optimistic. And so the fact that I noticed that was like, yeah, I can't do that. So I decided to change from going after that. And I switched to just doing clinical therapy, social work, that kind of stuff. And that's where I got into that. But I originally went, started out with this doing, wanting to go do the, trip, the traditional male kind of piece of the psychology stuff. But as I got into this, and as I've been through this now and done this for 23 years, I realized that that's where my heart has always been. I've always been the person that wants to help other people ease their suffering, that wants to be the professional secret keeper and advice giver that I very much enjoy being. Oh, that's wonderful. And so you did, you've worked as a therapist and you've done mm-hmm. EMDR as an example, yes. right? You, mm-hmm. you do that, which I'm a huge proponent of. Mm-hmm. Um, and my family has, my little nuclear family has all like embraced EMDR. And then how did you decide to go into more coaching? And mm-hmm. did you create the sort of key to dealing with burnout? Mm-hmm. So I love EMDR. EMDR has helped me immensely. It's been the best life-changing therapy tool that I've ever learned. I think it's amazing. Everybody should go do it because life, I really believe life is trauma. You go through life and it's capital T trauma, little t trauma. It doesn't have to be about the big stuff like car accidents, your parent dying. It doesn't have to be about that. Every day is a little bit of trauma. And every day also is a little bit of burnout. I'm glad I started looking at in, in the micro burnout and what that looks like. Because if you work on things every day, like let's say just cook, figuring out what meals to cook for your family every day, you can get burned out after right. months and years and years of that, where you begin to get burned out on just, I don't want to do that anymore. I'm just burned out on that aspect. So we also have the micro burnout. And that's a big piece of what I've learned is that As I've gone through this, all roads kind of lead back to that, where it is just what people think burnout is, is not what it is. Because burnout is not just work. Everyone hears burnout, they're like, oh, I'm just stressed out at work. That's what it is. And it's like, no, it's an actually, it's a systemic collapse in the various different areas of your life. And usually there's about four different phases that you can go through. And so the first one is you start to socially withdraw. You don't want to spend time with coworkers after work. You don't want to spend time with your friends as much. And you just kind of retreat into yourself. And then when that happens, then secondly, you start to neglect your own self-care. You don't want to go and do the things that you used to love. You don't want to do your hobbies anymore. You maybe stop shaving as much. You stop showering as much. You might wear the same clothes repeatedly and those kind of things. And then you start, that starts to then affect, of course, your primary relationships. You start to disconnect from your family and from your close friends because you're afraid that they are going to see that you're burned out and that scares them because you don't want to add any more burden to their life because you already know that they're stressed out. Then the next one is the the final piece is work disengagement. This is when most people figure out they're burned out. This is when your boss says, hey, we need to talk. The quality of your work is slipping. 
you're not doing as well. If this doesn't change, then we're going to fire you and those kind of things. And that's the stuff that people don't realize is that as you continue to go through these different aspects, that you can step back and you can recognize these things and you can begin to turn things around, but it doesn't take a massive amount of time. And that's the part that people don't recognize is I was profoundly burned out about 15 years ago after my mom died. And it led to all these different things. And I'll, I'll share that story more. Yep. I, I would like for you to, I think I know a little bit of that story, but yes, mm-hmm. please do. It's, and, you know, trigger alert for listeners, but it's an important yep. thing for us to talk about in mental health. And so if you would. Yeah. So when I was, uh, so my mom got diagnosed with an autoimmune disorder when I was 27. So I was about eight, uh, 21 years ago, okay. uh, about 20 years ago. And then she it basically turned her from a healthy 50-year-old to a 90-year-old in the space of about a year because it started liquidating her joints. And it was extremely painful. She was in pain 24-7. And so I was with her and she told me she was going to commit suicide. And so I talked to the doctors, talked to the nurses, told them what's going on. And they told me, no, she'll be fine as long as she completes our program. I told them what my credentials were. I told them that I've been working in locked psychiatric hospitals. I've done all these different things. And they still said, no, she'll be fine. It'll be okay. And then two weeks later, she made her choice. And that led me down grief, loss, depression, burnout, all these different things. So I got out of the field for a couple of years. And then I went into real estate. And this was in 2005 because I still wanted to help people. And I figured, hey, what better? Let's help people get homes and all these things. And then, of course, 2008, 2009 happened. So uh, that shut down everything. My wife and I lost everything. So with our newborn son, we had to go move and live with my in-laws for the next two years while we began to rebuild all that mm-hmm. stuff. And in that state, I was profoundly burned out. I wasn't connecting with my kids. I wasn't connecting with my wife. I wasn't connecting with my friends. I was just basically being a robot in my everyday life. I was 25% there on a good day. On a bad day, I was like maybe 10% there. I could do enough to get through my day, but that's it. And so with all that going on, I had to decide, I had to make a choice in that moment. Who do I want to be as a husband, as a father, as a man, as a therapist, as a person? What do I want to do? So I had to begin to figure out what did that look like? How do I figure out how to do that? And so that began my process. And I went back to actually uh, Buddhism, where I, I used to practice meditation a lot in college. And so I started meditating three minutes in the morning, three minutes at lunch, and then three minutes at dinner, after dinner, and then journaling for two minutes after each session. The first one was to set my intentions. The second one was to follow up on those intentions. And then the third one was to make sure that I kept that through line throughout the day. And most people like three minutes. What is three minutes going to do for you? you? You can't quiet your mind in three minutes. Well, the thing that I learned about meditation and about mindfulness is trying to get your mind to be quiet is like asking the wind to stop blowing. It's not going to happen. Instead, it's observing the thoughts and seeing which ones keep coming up and then noting them down and then figuring out a plan of action to give you the ability to begin to control them because it always comes back to If you don't own it, you can't fix it. And so it's learning how to do that process. And so that's how all this stuff started was that's how I began to dig myself out of that burnout hole that I found myself in. And in about about 100 days, I was able to 
to go back and reconnect with my family, to be able to reconnect with myself, to be able to reconnect with just life again, because I was able to recognize where I kept getting pulled off track. Excellent. I love that. So that's still a part of your daily hygiene, really, is three times a day, Mm -hmm. uh, all for different purposes, the practice of medication which is just three minutes it's not mm-hmm. doesn't take a lot of time it's not like the kind of thing people are like I don't have time for that it sounds yeah. like you're very you know you have you have time for that we all do it's very specific and focused it, and that's the thing is it's the hardest thing especially that I've learned being a westerner myself is that for westerners when they think about meditation they think about the zen buddhist monks that can sit for hours and hours and hours and that's not what we're trying to do All I'm trying to teach people is if you take a step back and take a breath and just focus on your breath for just 30 seconds and just change your breathing, you'll notice that when you're most stressed out, your breathing is really going super fast. And that's the thing is, so the way it works when the human body, when we're in fight or flight mode, which is what we're in most of the time is it goes into three different things. It goes into four different ways that you can break through that. The first is you do this thing called box breathing. It takes about a minute to two minutes to do. It's where you take a deep breath in for four seconds, and then you hold it for four seconds. Then you breathe out for four seconds, and then you hold empty for four seconds. And you do that four times. And what that does, it signals to your body, because 80% of our information comes from our body, not from here. This is only 20%. So now, and you're pointing control. to your head for, for those yes. who are just yes. listening, yes. you're pointing to your head. So it, you yes. know, it doesn't rely on your brain necessarily. It's all yes. the other things. Okay. Yes. 80, yes. 80% of your body, your body is the thing that gives all the information to your brain. So if you okay. can learn to control your breathing, that will begin to then turn off your parasympathetic nervous system where fight or flight lives, and it will calm you down. Your heart rate will lower. Your digestive tract will relax again. Your lungs will be able to breathe nice and slow. And then the adrenaline in your brain will stop. Because when adrenaline gets in your brain, the thing about it is that people don't realize is adrenaline stretches time when it's in the brain. It causes a time dilation effect to where when you're in anxiety, even if it's just kind of, oh, my boss wants to talk to me and you get in your head, it stretches time by about a factor of 10. So for every second, you feel like 10 seconds has passed. Now, in the wild, if you're being attacked by something physical, you want time to stretch so you can dodge and run and have the extra energy to not be eaten or killed. But in everyday world today, it just makes our suffering longer and more pronounced. So after you breathe, the next thing you do is you then journal for a minute or two to get the story out of your head. Be honest with what your brain is telling you, because we run on story. That's what human beings run on. Then the next thing you do is go shake it off. Go do some exercise. Go do like a quick bit of power walking. Go do some, just go do some wall push-ups. Go do something to just get the blood moving to move that adrenaline from your stomach, your chest, your heart, and your brain where it gets stuck. Get it into your arms and legs where it belongs. Then go back and read what you wrote. If you do those things, it takes about five or six minutes to do, but that will change your entire perspective and your entire perception on what's going to happen next which then allows you to make better choices. I love it. That sounds really good, really specific, very accessible for all of us. Excellent. Have you been writing on this as well? Yes, yes, I have been. I actually, actually did write, write a book 
I have a book out right now. It's called Beat Burnout in 15 Minutes a Day. How to I Prioritize Yourself Without Losing What Matters Most. And that it's is available. such a good title. Such a good title. You can find it on Amazon. It talks about all these different things. In it, there's also a link where you can schedule a free 15-minute coaching session with me at any time during the book if you have any questions. It has links to the different uh, to different worksheets and different things to help you move through your day. And every chapter is designed for you to be able to read it in less than 15 minutes. And every worksheet is designed for you to be able to do it in less than 15 minutes. Because it's not about taking up your time. It's about helping you to use your time effectively and to move forward and to get on with it. I think that is so fantastic. One thing that just really sticks with me is that you mentioned that we do consider burnout to be just a work, a function of our work. And that's mm-hmm. what you've said rings true. It is not at all. It is mm-hmm. not. And it uh, it shows up at work. And that's where we're going to be called on it. But it's important for us to really check in with that. So what a great, great thing. I think your book sounds fantastic. And I'm excited for all of us that you wrote it. And thank you. Where is the best place for people to connect with you again if they want that free coaching or to find out about your book? Yeah, if people want to find me, you can find me, of course, on the wonderful Facebook and Instagram. You can find me at smallchangesbigimpact.thenumber4 and the letter U. Uh, there you can direct message me or you can there's also you can also get about two to three minutes i do videos about every day just about different topics and different things that happen and just in that are going through my brain as a therapist and as a life coach that i do every day because i want people to really understand that it doesn't take you know hours and hours and hours a day to change your life it literally does take 15 to 30 minutes a day for you to be able to take a step back take a breath and change your life and change the way you interact with everybody around you. I think that sounds beautiful. The book sounds wonderful. And thanks for sharing about your life and what the story behind the story, you know, that really helps understand what what your motive was and, and how you came to be. So that's exciting work. Thanks for being on Persistence You, and I can't wait to see what you're up to next. There's just something that hit me right. Maybe it was the timing. I don't know what. But when Clint Callahan and I ended our conversation, there were those actionable tips that he gave that are kind of life-changing. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Next week, be back with me. And Persistence You for Delizia Niami, who wrote the book Kissing Asphalt, the courageous true story of one child's unbreakable spirit from kidnapping and abuse to self-love. Thanks for being here as ever. I hope you've enjoyed this week's show. Thank you for listening. If you have enjoyed it, feel free to leave a review. And if you've really, really enjoyed it, go ahead and subscribe. And I'll see you next week. Proud member of the Podnuga Network.